Amen. Amen. Turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We're going to be starting a new series in the Gospel of John. And before I do that, who's got their Bibles today? All right. When I do that, everybody says word. Okay. You lift up your Bibles. You lift up a pew Bible if there's one in front of you. All right. Who has their Bibles today? Word. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take a moment to turn there to the Gospel of John and then have a word of prayer. And there's a reason I have us hold up the Bible and say word. And I think it'll become clear indirectly by the end of this message. So let's come before the Lord and pray. Father, we... Thank you for this moment, Lord. We thank you for the life-transforming message of the Bible. And we thank you, Lord, expressly for the Gospel of John. And we thank you, Lord, for what the Gospel of John lays out before us, a picture of Jesus as the God-man, a picture of Jesus as the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. A picture of Jesus as the Savior of the world and the Son of God. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us to disclose to us the way of salvation. Lord, you remind us we live in a broken world. You remind us, especially at Christmas, that we live in a world of suffering, a world that's been ravaged by sin, a world, Lord, that often looks dark and bleak, and sometimes Christmas can be the hardest season for many, a season of hurt and discouragement. But into that comes the glorious news that you sent a savior into the world to deal with our greatest problem and our greatest need. And Father, we we don't want to step into this book with cold hearts. So I pray, Lord, that you would warm us with this the spirit of God, Lord, that you would come on this message, Lord, that you would help me to step out of the way and that the Spirit would come on this Word and breathe life into our hearts. And Lord, if we're discouraged, that we get a word of hope. And if we're blind, that we would see because You would make us see. And that if we're dead in sins, that we'd be brought to life. If we're struggling in our faith, Lord, that You would encourage our faith by helping us to see a beautiful picture of Jesus as the Lord of all. And so we commit this time to you and we ask you to bless this word now in Jesus name. Amen. So it's been said that the gospel of John is the church's beloved gospel. The early church loved and held dear this gospel. It's been talked about as being as shallow of a pool that children can play in and understand it. And it's deep enough for elephants to swim in. So there's going to be times where we're in the shallow end, just glorying in the beautiful simplicity and the powerful message that John brings to us. And then there's times when we're going to have to get our scuba gear on, right? We're going to have to get our thinking caps on and go deep and try to plumb the depths of its truths. And... Scholars have, have, have mined its truths for centuries and centuries and centuries, and there's so many things to unfold. There's so many mysteries that have been revealed in God's 
word, and especially in the Gospel of John. And John's purpose, right, in, in writing John is not just to evangelize unbelievers. Sometimes we come to the Gospels and it's like, oh, I've read them. I don't really need that, right? But John's Gospel was written to encourage believers as well to lay before us a picture of Jesus Christ. A picture of Jesus Christ as the eternal Word of God who entered into human history, took on flesh or humanity, dwelt among us, to live for us and to die for us so that we might be saved through putting our trust in him. That's staggering. Like we don't walk into this gospel thinking like this is uh, news that's just old and stale. This is news that will transform your whole outlook in the Christmas season. It's news that entered in from outside of time and space. It's news that began long ago, before there was even time. This God created, sent his son into the creation after it was broken by sin, and changed history when this Savior died on a cross, and rose up out of the dead to give life to all who believe. Now, when that message lands on your heart and you lay hold of it and you believe it, it will change you forever. So that's what John wants us to see. And it's, he's like a bee buzzing around a glorious flower and just hitting it in different ways and, and looking at its glory and, and, and smelling the fragrant aroma of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the Son of God who came to save us from our sins. As we just sung, it's a, it's, it's a message about the Savior of the world entering human history. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of facts up front, okay, about the Gospel of John. It's 90% of the Gospel of John is unique. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar, have a lot of similarities. We call them the synoptic gospels because they're, they have those similarities. They have stories that repeat maybe slight differences from different angles, but John is 90% totally unique. So that's why John is so beloved. That's why John holds such riches to us because he's focusing on certain things. To help us see something about Jesus. And right from the start, just so we're clear, in chapter 20, in verse 30, John tells us the purpose of this gospel. He wants you to know why he's writing right up front. Well, actually in chapter 20, but he wants us to see it and have it in view because this gospel was meant to, be, uh, meant to be read from front to back in one sitting. Listen to what he says. This is his purpose. This is why he selected these things to write to us. Chapter 20 and verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. There's things he didn't include. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. What's John telling us? His goal, his aim is to produce faith in the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life in his name. That's a simple, profound aim of this gospel. But the more you see beauty in Jesus, the more you see glory in Jesus, the more you are transformed if you trust him. Because seeing Jesus for who he is transforms you and doesn't allow you to be the same. That's why we keep reading this book. That's why we keep preaching this book. That's why you come every Sunday to hear me preach. Not because of anything special about what I'm doing, but about the Word of God. It's the Word that's the message. It's the Word that was sent to us. It's the Word that has been revealed about Jesus that has the power to save. It's the Word that produces faith in our soul. So if you're coming in here and you feel like I've got weak faith, you're in the right place. God has a word for us to produce faith in the Son so that by believing, you may have life in His name. And it's spiritual life. It's abundant life. It's true life. It's the kind of life that when, you're, when you realize you're dead in sin and you come alive to it, the reality of who Jesus is and you get rescued, you begin to truly know what life is all about. So many of us, myself included, spent so much of our lives living in wreckage, living dead to, to, to the things of God, not having life in us until Jesus does a work and begins to change you. And then going deeper into that is all about living the Christian life. That's what John wants to do. He wants to help us with the profound realities of Jesus and the simple, beautiful truths that we need to see and say again and again and again and never grow tired of it. So let us look at the first five verses here of John's gospel. We're probably going to spend a few weeks here as we introduce it. But listen with fresh ears. Listen to God speak as he discloses a picture of Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And drop down to verse 14, where we get the identity of this Word of God disclosed to us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So much is said about Jesus in those few verses. It's like a pregnant, packed, tight, compact 
truth explosion about the eternal God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And if that's not enough reason for us to just like lay hold of this and, and study this book, because John is, is, is writing his, his letter and he writes it in four parts, right? He writes a prologue, the first 18 verses of John is like a preview, it's like a trailer, it's like a movie trailer. And what happens in a movie trailer is you watch the trailer to find out a bit about the movie. But this trailer is the kind of trailer that makes you want to watch the movie. Sometimes you want to, you watch a trailer and you're like, okay, I don't need to see the movie anymore. This trailer shows you Jesus in a glorious way and it attracts you to him like a magnet. It shows you the one who came from beyond time and space. The one who brought everything that is into existence. The one who always was. And then took on a finite human nature. Was born in a manger. God in a manger. The God who took on flesh. And dwelled among us. And then he lived. Righteously. He lived the life we couldn't live. He lived the life you and I fail to live every single day when we fall short of the glory of God. When we fall short of the things that we know to do. The things we know are, are right. Why do you struggle with it? Why do you struggle? Why do you get hot-tempered? Why do you get discouraged and, 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 and begin to live a life wallowing in misery? Why do we hurt one another? Why do we lie? Why do we cheat? Why do we steal? Because something is broken. And this Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become true sons of God in Him, through faith in Him. That's who He is. He's the one who came to reverse the effects of the curse. He's the one who seeks to destroy, or He seeks to save that which is lost. He's the one who seeks to set right what was broken in a garden. He's the one who seeks to defeat the satanic forces that hold the sway over men's hearts. That's Jesus. That's what this prologue introduces us to. Right? And that's just the first part. The last chapter of John is called the epilogue. That gives us a picture of Jesus after the resurrection when He commissions His disciples. So you've got... The prologue and the epilogue bookending this great gospel. And then you have two major chunks that are called two books. The book of signs and the book of glory that make up the body of John's gospel. The book of signs are all about Jesus' sign miracles that are saying something about who Jesus is. They're saying something about Jesus' identity. And then the book of glory unfolds those last few teachings and conversations, the last week of Christ's life on earth as he's headed to the cross. And he's got so much to say and so much glory to show us as he comes as the king who was born to die, headed like a locomotive to a tree where he would be crucified to bear the sins of his people. To bear the wrath of God. To take the sons of earth 
and make them born again to reverse the effects of the curse. That's who he is. That's what this book is showing us. But you might wonder, why start a new series in the Gospel of John? I mean, why, why is John so important for us to lay hold of when we're thinking about the Christian life? Why, why does the church love the Gospel of John so much? Why do you maybe like John's Gospel? Maybe you haven't thought about it that much. But when you see Jesus as something glorious, when you see Jesus as radiant and splendid like a shining light in the darkness, you do get changed. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's this verse saying? I mean, what is Jesus trying to, what is Paul trying to communicate about Jesus? When you look at him and you truly see him and you truly trust him, you begin to become like him. That's what the Christian life is all about. Seeing Jesus, trusting Jesus, and becoming like him. It's the pursuit of holiness. You can't get holy if you keep looking at yourself. If you keep looking at yourself, you keep looking at your track record, you keep looking at, okay, I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to try to muscle myself through this life. No, Paul says, look to Jesus, behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. So you want to know how to become a better Christian? Read the Gospel of John. Read it. Savor it. Taste and see the Lord is good. Allow it to change your heart and your thinking. Allow it to give you a baptism of the glory of Jesus Christ. So you can just say in your sleep, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. When you get that into your heart, you begin to live differently. When you get that into the nooks and crannies of your soul, you begin to stand on solid rock. John shows us a picture of Jesus' miraculous signs so that we would look through them to see glory in Jesus. So when John turns water, or when Jesus turns water into wine, it's not about how special turning water into wine is. It's about glory in Jesus. It's about the majestic God of all the earth who's able to take the molecules of water and transform them into wine with just an intentional thought. His very sheer will brings about the transformation so that when you see it, you see through it to the glory in Christ. When he sees the man by the pool who's crippled, the pool of Siloam, and he asks, do you want to be made well? 
He's not asking the man, do you think you want to be healed? He's asking the man to see something in him. He's asking the man, do you see that I'm the one who can restore you physically and spiritually? And the man says, yes. And Jesus raises him up on the Sabbath day. He gets into a little bit of trouble for that because it was on the Sabbath day. And he says, my father has been working until now. And the Jews look at them, seething, look at him seething with anger because he dared to make God his father. He was declaring equality with God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. That's who Jesus is. So this gospel is so beautiful so powerful, so encouraging that it shows us these signs for a reason. John 2.11 shares that reason with us. This, the first of His signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. The sign manifested His glory. And his disciples believed in him. What was happening? Jesus was summoning forth faith in his disciples to trust him as he demonstrated the things that only God could do. Only God can take water and turn it to wine. Only God can raise a cripple who's been crippled his whole life. Only God can speak to a blind man who's been blind from birth. And he sees. Only God can take a woman who was shattered by seven or by five divorces. And the man she was working on was not her husband. She tried to find hope in everything she could. She tried to find a savior in men. And Jesus looks at her and says, I've got living water for you. I've got living water to satisfy you. That's who this Jesus is. And that's exactly why John says in chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. These are included. These are laid out for us so that put yourself in here. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So maybe you come in here today and your faith has been beat up. You feel discouraged. When you, when you see your walk with the Lord, you feel distant. You feel far. You don't feel close to this Jesus. John is inviting you to enter through the door of his gospel. And peer in and look and see Jesus for all that he is. 
and he's going to load it up front. He's going to give you this trailer, this, this movie trailer where you're going to see pictures and portraits of Jesus. And he wants to give it to you from the start. This Jesus is like no other. Maybe you're in here today and you don't know Christ. You've learned about things about Jesus your whole life. But Jesus isn't Lord for you. Maybe you're in here today and you feel like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. John invites you into this book. He invites you to step into these conversations. He invites you to, to step in, put on the spectacles of Scripture and see just who this King is. Just who this Word made flesh is. And we're going to see glorious things. So I just want to look at two pictures today in brief. Because we're, we're stepping into the introduction that John wants to bring us of this glorious book. And it's like going into a treasure box and you start picking out things. You could just pick out all sorts of stuff. But John lays the best stuff on top. So that you'll keep digging and keep digging. Until you find the greatest treasure of all. It's kind of like Christmas. Right? The presents under the tree are nothing compared to the present God gave in the person of Christ. So let's look at this together. As we see picture number one. The word is the eternal God. Do you see that in verse one? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, or was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Why did John say it like that? There's only one other place in all of Scripture that those words are used just like that. He lays them out in Greek, but it harkens back to the Hebrew opening lines of the Old Testament. Book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John wants you to go back to beginnings. God, John wants you to go back to the origin of it all. The origin of creation. He wants you to see that in the beginning was the Word. That means the Word pre-exists the initial creation. That means the Word is eternal. That means the Word is not finite like you and I, and we're growing and we're growing old and we're aging and there's a succession of time. No, Jesus always was. The early church said there was never a time when the Word was not. You know why this matters? Because every single cult and false religion butchers this truth from Mormons who believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan and is a, a an evolved to become a God Jesus was just a man who had to learn how to be God in Mormonism not in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God Jehovah's Witnesses think that Jesus is the archangel Michael. 
and is a super created being like an angel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 3 says, all things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything was made that was made. He can't be a created being if everything that was made was made through Him. Muslims say Jesus was a great prophet, not the Son of God. They say Jesus died, but He didn't rise. John says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14. Jews say Jesus is perhaps a good man or maybe even worse, an imposter. Jesus is the Son of God who discloses the Father to us. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus is the Son of God at the Father's side and He makes known God to us. Want to know what's happening at Christmas? God comes to reveal Himself in the person of Jesus to us. God becomes one of us so that He might redeem us. God looks out and He sees us fallen, corrupt, making a mess of our lives, living in idolatry, living in sin, living apart from Him, broken, shattered. You just have to look around to see it. I was just talking to somebody the other day, asked him if I could pray with them. And they began to tear up and asked me to pray because death had hit their family. Deep down, we know something's wrong. And every one of us will taste death. But Jesus came into the world as a God-man so that He could swallow up death in victory. And there's no life except in Him. That's what we read in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is who Jesus is. He's the eternal Word who's been around from the beginning. And He's been with the Father all along. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus, as the Word of God, is distinct from the Father. He's not the Father. Jesus is the second person of the triune Godhead. So this verse, very, these few verses very plainly unfold to us. They press upon us the doctrine of the Trinity. That there is one God in three persons. Later in chapter 1, you'll see the Spirit coming on Jesus in His baptism. And Jesus saying He's, he's the one who baptizes in the Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is one God 
who is three persons. God is one what? And three who's. And that's a mystery. Unfolded in the first few verses of John. John will break your brain because it's a supernatural revelation from God. We can't expect to know fully and completely and exhaustively the revelation of the infinite God of the universe who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father loved the Son from all eternity. And that's how love can even exist in the world. Did you realize that we as the creation cannot experience love if love didn't exist prior within the Trinity? The Father loved the Son. And the Spirit is the bond of love between the Son and the Father. Glorious reality. It reminds me of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 when He said, Father, restore the glory that I once had before the world began. And help me to help them to love one another with the love that you have loved me from before the foundation of the world. That's who we're dealing with when we deal with Jesus. That who, that's who was born in Bethlehem. That's who was in the manger. That's why the angels appeared in manifest, glorious proclamation. Singing glory to God in the highest, peace on earth with those with whom He is well pleased. That's why when you see the face of Jesus, you see the face of God. That can be said of no other person on the planet. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then, the Word was God. Jesus is utterly divine. Fully God. Very God of very God. And if we stop short of saying that, there is no gospel. There is no hope. There is no Christmas. There is no salvation. But John starts his gospel there. And the Word was God. And he shows God to us. So is there any other place that says this in Scripture? Absolutely. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in any, everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is glorious and preeminent. He, there's only two classes of being in the universe. There's the creator and the created. And the word who came from all eternity is the creator. That's what we see. He was with God in the beginning. And verse 3 shows us that second picture. He's eternal God and He's the Creator. Look at it there. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a profound and simple statement. All things were made through him. I was watching a documentary about sea creatures with my kids this morning, and there was this fish called the elephant fish. And it had this kind of nose, it was an elephant nose that was its mouth and it could suck things off the floor of the ocean. And it sends out these electromagnetic pulses all over its body where it can sense creatures around it. So it can sense predators. And it has a special nose to suck up little, you know, um, bugs and, and shrimp and, and, and larvae and different things, earthworms and just stuff on the bottom of the river floor and the seafloor. And it has this ability, like sonar, to detect enemies when they come, so it's long gone before they come around. And this program had the audacity to say, look at how evolution is at work. Look what random chance, time, and matter can do all on its own. Instead of God made the elephant-nosed fish gloriously. He designed it so it could do that. He designed it so it had electromagnetic waves going around so it could sense things when it comes. That's design, my friend. That's design because... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and this Word was from all eternity, and this Word made everything. And is that not what Genesis says in the beginning was, or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? This is Genesis 1 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Is it any wonder that God speaks? God's words bring about the creation. God says light. And the very speech. The word. Is Jesus. And he brings about the creation. When he says light. Light comes. When he says elephant nose fish. They come. When he says Sharks, they come. When he says trees, they come. When he creates man in his own image, he makes them with his word and he breathes life into them with his spirit. That's glorious. Listen to Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and just see the beautiful picture of God creating us through Jesus, and notice the language of Trinity in this verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Did you catch that? There's a plural going on there. God said, singular, there is one God, let us make man in our image, plural, in our likeness. Do you realize that the design of God in making man happened because the Trinity 
was at work. The spirit in verse 2 of Genesis is hovering over the face of the deep. God the Father is creating the heavens and the earth through His Word, the Son, to make all things. And that's just what John says. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your doorstep and they tell you Jesus is a created being and they tell you they got another gospel and they tell you that they, you got to believe that gospel to be saved, you bring them to John 3 and you say, how come it says without Him nothing was made that was made? What does it say there? It says, and without Him not anything was made that was made. He made it all. It says it in positive terms. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. Positive and negative. So, you know, God made the creation through Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. He does not enter creation and take on a human nature. Until Christmas. Two thousand years ago, roughly. And the word became flesh. The uncreated word took on a human nature. The son of God became son of man. The creator of all things took up creation in one person. That's who Jesus is. He's creator. And he took on a human nature to save you and I if we will believe. And John wants us to be out of the gate knowing who we're dealing with because this is the, the Son who comes on Christmas. And there is no salvation apart from Him. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Colossians 1.15 says something strikingly similar. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you realize Jesus is holding the world together right now? He's holding your molecules together so that you stay you. Forget you do you. Jesus helps you stay you so that you could come to know him and become a new you, a born again you. A saved you. A forgiven you. A true you. One who actually has life in Him. Because there's life in the Son. And if you come united in Him by faith, you share in the life He provides. In Him is life. In Him is light. The light shines in the darkness and it overcomes the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. No matter what kind of darkness you got going on in your heart, Jesus can overcome it if you will trust him. For as many as have received him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
beloved, this is Jesus. This is the heaven-sent King who can rescue anybody who comes to Him. He saves to the uttermost all who draw near to Him. Let me close just with a word. A couple years back, we were living in Oldham County, and we lived by, there was a few Mormon, like there was a Mormon temple and I think a huge Mormon church in Crestwood. And before long, the Mormon missionary started coming around and, and knocking on our door. And so we decided, hey, we'll, we'll open the door and see if we can talk to them. Now, they were trying to mormangelize us, right? And, and we were like, hey, we'll, we'll invite them in because will the real Jesus please stand up, right? I'm thinking, hey, this is like Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? Will the real Jesus show up? And you talk about your Jesus, I'm going to talk about the Jesus from Scripture, and we're going to see whose Jesus wins, right? Not because I'm like against them. I want to see them saved. And if they're going to come up to my door wanting to dialogue about the gospel, you better believe I'm going to preach the word and I'm going to bring Jesus to them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm talking with them, and it was months and months and months. Every six months, a new crop of missionaries would come in, and we would start the cycle over again. And I would share the gospel. They would talk about the Book of Mormon. I would share the gospel. They'd talk about another testament of Jesus Christ. They, you know, they, they started kind of getting a little bit unnerved eventually because the things weren't matching up, right? How can Jesus be the maker of all things and you say He's a created being? How can Jesus be in the class of Creator if He evolved to be God? How could Jesus actually be trusted and we confidently believe that He can conquer all darkness, satanic included, if you think he's Satan's brother, will the real Jesus please stand up? I can remember the first person I ever led to Christ was a Mormon. And it's like God's been sending Mormons every now and again over the years. But this gospel will stand up. There's only one gospel. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So when you get the, this Jesus right, when you get this Jesus in your heart, when you get this Jesus before you, He's the one who can save. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you walked in here. If you walked in without Christ, I, I just say and I plead, look at Him. Look at this glorious King who can rescue you. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For He did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in the Son is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in the Son is condemned already. And the wrath of God abides on them. But Jesus offers life. And I'm just excited about seeing what this gospel will do 
as we unfold it week after week after week and we behold glory. Hey, we, we put on some scuba gear today, but there's glory coming. Glory, if we've not got a whiff of it already. Jesus is eternal God and he's creator. And he must be both in order to be our redeemer. Let's look to him this Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that when we lift up the word of God, we're really pointing to Jesus. We're really saying we long to worship King Jesus, who is the word of God, who is the definitive revelation of God. And we thank you, Lord God, that wherever we are at today, we can get hope and we can get help. There's nothing too far gone in us. That cannot be helped by Jesus. But if we go somewhere else, we will not find help. If we go to drugs, if we go to alcohol, if we go to sexual immorality, if we go to the lies of false religion, if we go to the demonic deception that is in the world, the spirit of the age, we will not find help. But we will find help in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that John was bold enough to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold His glory. Help us to see more of it, so that we might believe and have life in the name of His Son. In Jesus' name, amen.